going to start recording, and I'm going to start streaming. Let's make sure it goes live. Okay. showing a weird thing on there. Let me just make sure everything's okay. Okay, there we go. All right, sorry about that. All right. I'll play the music now. Square. As always, your host is Eric Stryker. Take it away, Eric. Hi, ladies and gentlemen. It's your girl, Whoopi. Uh, you may have heard I got in a little bit of trouble recently. Uh, so I'm going to do this for now. Uh, so welcome to the People's Square. Uh, we have two special guests. They uh, they have a substack called The People's Samistat, Mark and Nick. And um, this... Uh, it's very interesting. It seems to be like a kind of a cultural magazine, webzine slash uh, blog. So uh, welcome, friends. Thanks. Thanks for having us on. Yeah. So uh, first of all, give me your tips on how to stay on Substack. <laughs> I uh, just, your so, yeah, I don't I mean, right now, uh, we, we have certain rules as far as what you can and can't say. I, I know we. Actually, we had a, a number of Nick tell me that we got a view from a Substack admin at one point, and uh, uh, they didn't do anything. So I don't, I don't know. We we just try to keep certain certain discussion a little bit, uh, uh, like on, uh, I guess reduced. And um, uh, I guess I guess that's it. Like you know, we try and keep I guess the racial slurs down. And but I I know you know I don't know. Like there's some people they seem to have an issue with, and they just will ban ban them off of there. But they seem for right now we're we're going on there, and it, it is it does make a lot of things easier. So um, uh, you know we're gonna try and stay on there as long as we can. I guess a couple of years ago I I started a Substack because it was sold as a free speech platform. And uh, I didn't really use racial slurs or anything, um, but I got this email from from the admins, and they were saying something like, uh, to the to the extent of, uh, we just can't have you on here. Uh, so you know, this is just a um, this is a club. I think I'm just personally banned from. I, I think at this point, um, every single tech company, every single social media company just has a picture of me up on their wall and it says if you see him ban him at this point so uh, uh i'm glad that you guys at least could uh figure something out with that but uh yeah I do see substack as an interesting medium because um you know more mainstream commentators that can't seem to get published in uh any publication really uh, are making money off of Substack, and it does make 
anarchist types very upset. It makes liberals and blue checks really upset, just the mere existence of Substack, because they realize that the people they cancel, so to speak, go to Substack and build this huge audience and, frankly, uh, even from a financial perspective, make more money than um, the average writer, columnist, or even editor in a lot of mainstream publications. Uh, but also, they have to deal with the problem that uh, there's literally no one willing to pay money to read Antifa-style journalism. So Substack is uh, very uh, very good at in a, in a kind of... Um, um, you know, bring the message to the people and let them decide. And they decide. Um, I think that's a great philosophy. You cut the editors out, you cut the uh, gatekeepers out. So yeah, it is it is a positive development overall. Um, so anyway, uh, I'm looking at um, some of the stuff here. And yes, there's a lot of cultural commentary. Um, I, today I read uh, The Paradox Interactive Brain. And uh, this one actually sort of um, it, it sort of rang true to me because uh, basically the the what the article is saying Henry Hogan what the article is saying is that uh, a lot of um, alternative intellectuals or, or uh, dissident thinkers have their brains screwed up by these computer games made by Paradox Interactive, which are these kind of very spurgy. Uh, grand strategy games. <laughs> I, mean, I used to like Hearts of Iron a little bit and stuff. So, uh, yes, uh, tell me a little bit about that. You, you can go, uh, Nick. All right, I guess, I'll, okay, I'll, I'll go. Um, I, yeah, so the, the uh, um, uh, it's, I, I, and I definitely, I see this a lot with um, a lot of people, like even, even people that aren't, uh, I think it's like a a certain like a pathology of people on the right wing. Even if they're not, uh, even if they're not uh, online, uh, they uh, like. There's a woman I was talking to recently where she was she was trying to convince me that you know like if Putin attacked uh, or if, yeah if he attacked Ukraine then and the United States responded then Putin would attack like California or something like that. And I would, it's just like a I don't know where where. Uh, where uh, these people kind of get this uh, this thing, but I do think that, especially with the online people, it, it, I think it's it's like that, <laughs> almost like uh, like it's it's satisfying in that like autistic way. And, and if you're like a really systematic thinker, it's nice if you can like take world events and geopolitics and and create like they fit if you can visualize them thinking fitting some sort of um, uh, Fitting some sort of model. Uh, I like, just want to stop you right there. You met a girl that plays Hearts of Iron. Oh no 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 no. no was this, this person this, born female? <laughs> yeah no 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 no. This was this was this was a she she didn't even she was like older. She must have been an Xer or something. I, she didn't uh, even play video games. It was more just she was a right winger and she like I, I see this a lot with white right right wingers where they uh they they get they get in this this like grand strategy mindset I think and. Yes. Um, you know, it's, it's kind of, it's, I don't like know, a I, I think, like a, like a sports team. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I, I think, I say, I, I think a lot of it with guys on the right wing, uh, in particular, it's just that it's like, it's, it, it's that like very kind of almost autistic way of thinking of where you try, it's like hyper systematizing things. And, you know, like you can't, a lot of events don't like 
I mean, it's imp- you know, it's nice to have models as a way, as a means of understanding things, and right. maybe to to gain further insight. But if you uh, push it too far and you make the model like uh, reality, then it's then it's it, it loses its it loses its value. So um, I think that's a lot of uh, kind of like what that article was talking about. Yeah, I mean, I I was just looking today. There were some uh, conservative accounts celebrating the uh, the special operators killing thirteen people in Syria. Now, I I haven't looked into the context of that, but uh, they killed thirteen people, and ten of them were women and children. So what what is there? But these people were celebrating, and they put aside all of their supposed, uh, you know. Let's go Brandon type of stuff, all of that partisanship. They put it aside for this kind of stupid crap, to live vicariously through Zog. Um, it is definitely uh, something that occurs when you're not quite grounded in reality. Is it true that uh, Paradox Interactive is responsible for this? Yeah. Well, I, I mean, or yeah, you can, you can go. Yeah, yeah I, I wouldn't say it's necessarily... Uh, paradox interactive that's caused this i think it has more to do with just a very poor level of discourse going on in the right wing i mean you look at some of these tweets and some of the speeches that all these right right wing grifters give out and it's just full of memes buzzwords garbage and so one of the things that we tried to do with the samasta is to at least raise the level of discourse up higher i mean uh, there, there, there's a place for funny posts, buzzwords, and memes, but there also needs to be a place where you concentrate your thoughts in a very mature way and in a long form way. So on the yes, yes, on the I, I, dot, we have on board. we have guys who are on social media and they 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 always make these really great posts, and then you tell them like, why don't you put that in a long form post where you sit down and you think for a long time. And all all these guys come up with really brilliant stuff in the end. Yeah, I'm I'm actually very impressed at the quality of writers that we have. Um, they 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 write very intriguing things, very provocative things. Um, but the thing that makes them different from all these right wing grifter types is is the fact that they don't resort to just these very basic, stupid memes and stupid discourse it's it's actually something there there's some substance there oh yeah i i am i have to say i i concur with you completely i mean i am sick of this you know th- this wasn't like this before it definitely changed in the in, in the last say three years four years maybe where you can't have an adult conversation on the internet anymore um and and yes i do see the tendency of memes starting to be used as you know, as a replacement for thoughts. Uh, and that's just a bastardization of thinking in general. Um, and I, I think that, yes, uh, I also want to bring up that the discourse has gotten more personality driven rather than uh, ideological or, or even talking about current events in a way that isn't hyper uh, hyperbolic or whatever. So what I mean by that is, uh, if you're having a discussion with someone on the internet, they'll immediately go to personal attacks, or uh, they'll find some some shit some tranny wrote on 4chan, and then post that at you, and they'll post soy jacks at you, or, or, or they'll post some other meme at you. 
Uh, and it's just, uh, you know, it, it, it just it's undignified to do that. Yeah. So, would, yes. One of our things is we have poems, we have short stories um, and we have these these guys writing these really great things right now we have a five-part short story going on and in the past we've had a three-part short story we've had different other novel length type stories and that that's just something you don't get out of the right wing at all you think right. um, what is coming out of the right wing right now in terms of, of culture absolutely nothing. nothing maybe a book maybe some sort of funny joke or something but there there's no actual culture creation going on so one of the things with the Samizda is we're at least in some small step trying to create some sort of dissident culture, um, some sort of thing where you can go to and you can read a good poem, you can read a good story, you can read something that reflects your own values. And the, the right completely doesn't have that. And that's both by, by institutional and structural things, but it's also of their own choice. All of the, the the elite in the right wing, they don't they don't want their audience to be smart. They don't want them to be oh, no. cultured. They they want them to be as dumb as they possibly can yes. so they can go to the polls. And here we're we are saying, no, you have to actually um, uh, engage with some some of this created culture. Well, what 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 is really amazing about uh, conservatives in general is how much money is spent to say so little. To so many people, they have nothing to say, and uh, and what you the point you bring up about culture on the right. I mean, at this point, to find any culture of value uh, on the right, you have to. It, it's almost like it's hidden away, like Anne Frank was or something. Like you, you you know, you go to the library and it's all comic books in the in the actual library. You have to pull one out and then it opens and then you might find an actual book or even a poem, or something of value, of cultural value. It, it, it truly is remarkable how stupid things have become. Everything has become almost like pro-wrestling, in a sense. And, uh, and the only way to fight back against this is simply to create the culture. And I guarantee you, my friend, that if we keep working on this, we will attract all of the thoughtful and intelligent people, and we will eventually win because of it. So... You know, that, that's the thing. You have to balance. Again, one other thing I want to say is that the way that, you know, we call them grifters or whatever, the way these people uh, perceive populism, someone like an Alex Jones, is they see it as a, a business opportunity, right? These people don't actually have an agenda. They don't actually have a vision for changing America, for uh, creating a new world, for creating a new worldview. Uh, or even making history. They are purely in it to make money. And that kind of bastardization, I think, is not really normal because I find that if you put real culture in front of people, they actually will choose it more than the garbage that is pushed in front of them. The, the, see, the, the way the system is, is working in the United States right now and this, I think, is deliberate to de demoralize and also uh, behead, so to speak, the populist right. And to some extent, the populist left is that there's a lot of money floating around on these on these fringes, uh, money from from a few sources, and they pay them to be retarded. They pay smart people like Matt Taibbi. They, they pay smart people 
like uh, a lot of these um, paleo conservatives, like uh, Rusty R.R. Reno and stuff, whatever I think of their ideology, they're smart guys. And they pay them to go out there and start pushing retarded, retarded kinds of uh, fall populism. Um, and, and this is absolutely having, not only is it weakening the anti-establishment uh, ideologies but and movements, um, but it's also just, uh, just nationally, culturally, just a degrading thing to see. Yeah, I, I would add, too, you have a lot of these institutions and structures in place so that if you're an average smart person on the right wing, you can't write anything that gets out into the mainstream. There are all these barriers in, in your way. Um, you, you have to have the right last name, the right tribal group. You have to toe the, yes. the, the right lines. Um, and what we've tried to do on the Samusdot, everything is free. So you don't have, have to pay for any of our content. But we, what we try to do is to make it so that your average online poster, he can, he, he can write something brilliant and it will be posted and he will be able to share what he's written. Um, we don't have any barriers in that sense. Um, we, we want to make this open as we possibly can um, and to, to allow anybody to write what they want and get that out in front because that's something that you unfortunately cannot do in the right wing at all. Yes. Well, I mean, it's actually even true on the left. You know, historically, the left is the uh, the, the side with the ideas, right? Um, but even then, you know, even in the 50s and 60s, going into the 1970s, you had intelligent right-wingers. You had intelligent, even mainstream conservatives. Look at Whitaker Chambers, one of the best writers. I mean, I find some of his ideology to be reprehensible, uh, but just a wonderful writer, okay? H.L. Uh, Mencken. Um, you know, you have these figures. I mean, can you think of a living figure that is anything like these people today on the right? Yeah, and, and they, they don't they don't really exist. And that, that's kind of like one of one of our goals. I think it's a problem with right wingers right now is that I don't think they like with on the topic of culture creation. Some of them, I don't think they know how to like it, it, I think people have talked about this before, but it, it ends up being really ham fisted. Like they make a song and it's like, you know, like they don't, I guess the thing that with, if you look at like leftist thinkers, like you can have like where people talk about this a lot where, you know, Oh, I like this band, but they're total libtards or something like that. Mm -hmm. But like, you know, people need to realize like, uh, this is what I thought was really good about like, uh, like Marty's book, um, uh, let them look West is that yes. he cre he created a book that, um, he he i really like the structure that he used where he he created these dialogues between like he used um uh cohen i, I forget what his first name but the the journalist used him like as a foil to all the other characters like or the character other characters function as a foil to his you know kind of liberal um worldview and you know it, he used it as a way to you know like it these kind of conversations that a lot of people have from various kind of you know people you know because not all of the the, the you know they're not like all nat socks or whatever in this uh in that book they're they're different people that are in different parts of the spectrum but they do kind of have a certain centralizing um ideology to a degree um but i think that uh like if we can if we can kind of create an environment where people start practicing creating culture uh in the sense of like poems writing short stories um music whatever and then they you know as people do it more hopefully they kind of learn okay like i don't need to you know like uh 
you know, when you're writing a book, you don't need to like maybe you know, maybe don't even need to name like the government that you have that you don't like or something, but you can make certain aspects about it that that are more indirect that make it so that somebody like another another good you know I guess it's a little bit more direct, but um, like with Starship Troopers, I mean uh, Heinlein wasn't uh, like a, a fascist, but I, as far as I understood um, Starship Troopers, it was he he wrote a lot of books that were more like thought experiments with uh, you know playing around with different ideas, but uh, he, he wrote it in a way, like it's still a book that a lot of people, like they, uh, you know, they like they like the book, even though it's like, you know, ostensibly like, uh, you know, like a very kind of pro-fascist book in my opinion. Um, and that's like, I think- Oh yeah, only only soldiers could vote. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I remember reading that when I was a teenager. Yeah. Um, yeah, there, there, there were a lot of like kind of, militaristic themes in starship troopers that um that i think is why a lot of people a lot of nationalists really enjoy it but you know again even though i i don't disagree with the medium of it like um you know i i would love to read for example even uh an iraq war memoir um or an afghanistan war memoir is whatever i think of those wars something on par with uh with Junger, right? It just doesn't exist anymore. Now, what, what's your theory? Because I've seen a lot of just so theories about it, like, uh, oh, our IQs are going down and stuff. But I actually don't agree with that. I think that the problem is that the people in charge of our country, uh, they simply are doing to us on a cultural level what they did to the Polish intellectuals in Katyn Forest. So in, in Poland, these are, the, you know, frankly, Jews, they shot all of the military leaders and the the intelligent people, like the the kind of cultural uh, leaders of Poland. They just shot them all and threw them in a pit. Uh, in the United States, they take a more passive role in just locking you out from our own institutions. So I read something like 41% of all Harvard, quote, white, and I put white in triple parentheses, uh, are legacy entries. So what does that mean? Well, it means that it's someone's kid, not necessarily based on merit or academic or, uh, you know, any other kinds of merits like that, um, but more so based on their regime loyalty. And when you have a system where art is dictated entirely by loyalty to the ruling class, you just don't have art anymore, right? It's just it just dies. And so it, it, it's very kind of frustrating from a pers- from a certain point of view. But the, the only way the only medicine for that is to just do it ourselves. I mean, I know so many brilliant artists, musicians, writers, painters. I mean, that, that book by by Marty is uh, I haven't read it personally, but everyone I know I've showed it. I've showed it to people that like to read novels uh, that are not particularly uh hundred percent with us. They have some sympathies, but they have some, you know, things holding them back. Uh, and they loved it. They loved that book. And this is one of the best novels I've read in years, these people will say. So, you know, again, I think we still have that stuff, that magic stuff uh, that is what creates high, interesting culture. Um, and the, the problem is the money, right? The people like I know some brilliant painters and they work on a construction site um, because they tried to make it in uh, in the world of painting. 
They got pretty far, but then they were asked to do things they weren't comfortable with uh, in terms of their art, you know, politicizing their art in a way they didn't want to. And they just had to go back to their small town and become a construction worker. So there, this I think definitely the death of our culture in the West is is absolutely artificial, malicious, and man-made. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's absolutely right. Um, we we actually have have right now we have a sci-fi writing contest going on, um, and some of the entries that we've received for that are amazing. Like they are very strong. Um, they're creating their own original worlds, and and you think what what are these guys? doing here like they they should they should be out there writing real books making money off of being an author they put so much time and effort into this but they can't there's there's no entry into that if if you want to write a strong book that reflects our values um we released as well volume one uh which was the first three months of all of the writings and in there we have poems essays short stories um shorter stories um, to give a few author shout outs here, um, we had some great works by Carl Dahl, who's uh, written the book Faction. He, he wrote a short story um, and it won our Halloween contest. It was about Joe Biden in the White House and <laughs> he was a ghost and all this stuff. It was a fan- fantastic short story. <laughs> um, we have another one, an, an author named John Stuart Dorn, who wrote a three part story. It was about this guy living in the pod life so he's living in a very dense city hyper reality in the sense that he's he's in love with this woman who only exists in a hall um hologram and he tries to go in there to save her and it's it's a fantastic book um and 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 you think these are the guys who should be at the forefront of our culture right so and it's 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 sad that they're not but it's also great for us because we have so much untapped Oh, it's a boon for us, man. I mean, this movement wouldn't even be possible without all of this control and censorship driving all the talented people to us. Yeah. Um, As as a person who's just a a political demagogue with no artistic abilities at all in anything, uh, I I enjoy it. (laughs) I enjoy writing their coattails of beautiful (laughs) art and culture. (laughs) Yeah, I would add, too. So thank you. Thank you, Zionists. Thank you. We have – there's some great – artists as well we've had some some guys we we had aaron art who was just on here a few weeks ago we had him yes. do a showcase for us um we've had a guy named dull signal do a showcase for us and his his art's amazing he makes all these comic strips about um militias and there's uh we had majolner comics um who's doing a fantastic job trying to reclaim the comic strip for us uh and in the Last part, we are starting to put out podcasts as well. Um, so we have a we have one podcast out right now, and it's a anime podcast, actually. <laughs> um, but uh, it, it's not it's not what you think it is. It's actually oh. it's very strong. All all the guys on it are very smart, and they're able to analyze all all the themes. It's 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 not the crap <laughs> you see in the mainstream. It's actually something that has some worth. And to each so, his own. <laughs> so they're 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 called the weeb nats um, oh, okay. which i find out is a great name but yeah there's all these guys and before we even started the summons one of the things that we thought was um who who is going to submit things to us you know are, are we just going to sit here empty and we're just going to be writing and maybe there's a few guys or anything but 
we get so many guys coming out of the woodwork sending us stuff and um like all that they needed was a platform and an audience um i'm sure there's a lot of writers who have had something sitting on a word doc in their hard drive for years or months or whatever all they needed was just a place to put that out there and now what we're trying to do is to make that place yeah go ahead uh, and I think too, uh, what kind of like what, what you were talking about, like what, like I guess, um, pathologizing, like why why we're in the state we're in right now. Uh, I, I think a lot of it is that you know if you're like a young white guy, you're just you're just automatically disenfranchised by by everything. Like school doesn't encourage you to. I mean, it, it's, it's kind of like a, it's kind of like one of those libertarian things, but it is like a prison, and it doesn't it's not conducive towards you know, young guys really, uh, like applying their, their, their actual talents or anything like that. And, you know, and then, you know, you get into the, you can't even get into a decent college sometimes because you're just, you know, um, you're just, uh, picked over like with other minorities in, in place of you. Um, so I think a lot of it is just, and, and that's why I think it was kind of like to tie into what, um, uh, Nick was just saying, uh, the like by creating or, or hopefully like getting those guys that that maybe have felt like tossed aside and they think oh yeah I can actually like I can apply my talents to something and uh, and and getting I think you know tying it into another idea like uh, our hope with it is that guys that maybe they were just involved with this area of politics on the level of having a social media account they. Right. Uh, they would actually get involved with writing because it's a it's like a low risk, um, you know, kind of moderate reward kind of thing. Or it could be a very high reward. But, you know, it, you take um, it, it's it, it gets you a little bit more invested. And I think also by like the it, with writing in particular, I think that it it helps you form your thoughts. And it, and because you, you actually come up with you, you try to come up with an original idea and you you know, take take other things people are talking about and you deliberately interact with it. It, it. it gives you more confidence in your own beliefs like, oh, no, I really do believe this. And this is what like this is why. Um, and hopefully that leads to guys getting involved more um, more than even just writing. I think that's, right. that's a hope. And you're right about, you know, just putting up the flag and the uh, the rest does itself. Like uh, I remember Vox Day was sort of trying to pioneer that he had his own little comic book company and he used to have a lot of science fiction going on and so on. Um, but like you guys said, uh, I think what's important too is to immunize our, our people from, and our culturemen from the retarded strains of conservatism out there. Cause I remember, you know, I used to kind of, I, I never really closely read Vox Day's blog, but I used to kind of look at it once in a while and then one day he just became like a QAnon guy. And that shit just went off the fucking rails, a poor guy. And then he just vanished. I don't know what Vox Day is doing now, but what he was doing had so much potential, you know, creating, even if I have some strong ideological agreements with him, uh, creating that style of culture that isn't, um, you know, 100% controlled by this tiny elite of people that run us, um, I thought was a good idea. You know, and he seemed to have a lot of success for a while on that. But again, the problem is you have these voids, right? These voids and this QAnon. And to some extent, it is some of the COVID populism. There are these voids that are created, artificial voids, where productive, interesting, thoughtful, and, uh, you know, people that create things of value 
are dragged into these voids and never seen or heard from again. Um, and I find that to be quite a shame. So, um, what, 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 what should we do um, in terms of, I, I think what I'm noticing is that for every one person that gets kind of dragged off into the weeds with, with some of the, the fads that happen, come and go, um, there's two people, two new people that join our thing. Uh, are you guys uh, optimistic about the prospects of this? Uh, yeah, I, I, I definitely think, uh, I, I think as far as, you know, with having something like the Samazad out there, um, when you create a more uh, transparent dialogue, um, and, and it's more of an investment in dialogue, then people are less susceptible to fads, because, you know, if, if you've actually thought through these ideas, and then there's some kind of fad that comes along to talk about whatever, um, you, you have more, uh, you have more that you've thought and stuff that you've put out there yourself that um, uh, it, it kind of prevents you from you, you'd have to if you're going to like more publicly associate yourself with something like that. And if you, like, let's say you've written articles about something um, and then there's this new fad that almost like not necessarily contradicts, but pulls you away from certain things that you've been talking about. Um, it becomes more it becomes more obvious that you're maybe just chasing a fad, I think. And right. that that you know, that can signal to other people, you know, I, like, I guess ultimately like what, what I kind of want to see, and I kind of hope that maybe this will happen with the COVID stuff too. Um, what we, we would like, we haven't had this happen yet on, on the Sama stop, but one thing I'd like to see is, um, I don't know how familiar you guys with, with like, uh, Newton and Leibniz, like they like wrote and, and other intellectuals have done this where they like write long letters to each other, like arguing about their their ideas. I'd like to kind of see that on the Samazdat because it would make it more, you know, people actually have to back up like what they're saying and, and not just, you know, again, not just chase a fad and say, oh, why, well, you know, I believe this. And it's like, OK, well, why do you believe? Uh, well, OK, there's no, re you know, if there's no reason, that, you know, and if you've written about it, it's more transparent. It's more uh, it's more self-evident to somebody that that's following. That's just, a, you know, a neutral like uh, a neutral kind of reader of, of uh, or follower of this politics uh, in the sense. That, yeah, they're just not they're not biased by a certain uh, personality or something like that. Right, right. And I think, go ahead, sorry. And I'd say too, what, what we're trying to do is create these very timeless works that don't just go with the fads. We're not going to have a bunch of articles on the latest, hottest event. We want articles and poems and essays and stories that can stand the test of time and that will exist five months from now, five years from now. Right. Um, things that have staying power. And I, I, I think that's something that you don't really get a lot in the online discourse. You don't get you, you, you get very flash in the pan takes you. You get a guy who posts a hot meme or he makes a big own of some libtard Twitter profile or something. Yeah, that that lasts for a day. The, the whole glow of that is very short. Um, so even with our audience that that we have one of the things is that we we have to put these things out where you can take a step back from the moment in time and you have to really reflect and concentrate on what you're trying to do what's going on in the world um one of the great things that that, that we've had on sundays we have a author named woodshop handman and one of the things that he does is he he writes about a huge range of stuff he writes about good and evil reality morals nature and it's all, all these things that you you could read 20 years ago and 
20 years from now and they, they will still be real they, they will still be important and it's not just these these things that in a month from now we're not even going to re- remember that happened i think that's so important you know because my my say craft um you know if i had one would be writing history and the key to writing good history is one to put the reader in the time and place, right? That's the one thing. You know actually who does that really well, and again, I have my strong ideological disagreements with him, it's E. Michael Jones. Uh, if you read E. Michael Jones's stuff, um, you'll notice that he always brings you to, like he transports you to the time and place to get you seeing things from the perspective of the different players and so on. Um, and even, uh, maybe he goes too far on this, but even like, uh, he puts you in the position of some of these these historical figures, and this is all done to bolster his narrative on history. But he puts you in the in the shoes of uh, <laughs> of say Martin Luther, and he's like, "Well, you got all these uh, lovely unattended to nuns uh, eager for a man's touch, and then the only thing standing in the way is uh, a man in a pointy hat in Rome." What would you do? You know, that <laughs> that kind of stuff. So um, the, the the thing about that is that the the, the kind of humanization of history in that in that way for good or, or evil. Right. Whether to make a, a point about this person being good or bad um, does actually make history timeless. And you do see uh, uh, some of the, the better historians do this very, very well. Uh, David Irving is actually one who's uh pretty good at this as well um but yeah no i totally agree writing something for posterity is uh the goal of every writer okay you don't because i've seen stuff that ages really poorly and it's uh a lot of stuff that comes out of the right you know um but uh but yeah so um so anyway uh what what do you guys think is the power of fiction versus non-fiction why because I noticed there's a lot of uh, of fiction on your on your site. What is the advantage and disadvantage of fiction in order to make a broader point versus just a mechanical telling of something that's happening? I think I think with fiction, one of its advantages is that like you can not that you can't make nonfiction interesting, but you can. I think there are more obvious ways to engage a reader in a fictional story because you can, you know, you, you you don't have to stick to reality. You can you can bend things and, and uh, you know, like you can kind of do what you want. So you can take something that maybe is not very interesting, but you can add a lot of um, uh, a lot of like. Uh, additions to it or supplemental things that maybe kind of <laughs> I like dilute the boringness of it and make it something that's more palatable to somebody that they may they wouldn't otherwise read. I think as far as the downside of fiction, it was kind of like what I was talking about earlier is that when people are just too ham fisted with it and they make like when you just make these uh, straw man of 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 your opponent, like that's where it 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 doesn't make the point because if you can if you can construct something that is um, comparable to reality, but maybe you throw in kind of like a fictional twist to it. It can, you know, people can then see how the, they can more realistically believe the analogy. But if it's just like a really obvious straw man, then people kind of discount it. It's like, go back to like Marty's book. That's why I think is so 
good about the writing of Rob Cohen is that like you could so easily just make him like really, really stereotypically Jewish, but the, he is in a, but it's more in a fundamental way. It's in, it's in a way that really gets to, I think like the heart of like the issue instead of just, uh, you know, like, you know, like he's not like, you know, he, Marty doesn't include like, you know, he's not like rubbing his hands uh, frantically or whatever, <laughs> something like that, you know, yeah. he's, it's 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 more in like like the 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 treachery of Rob Cohen is like what is the uh, is what makes him like really uh, you that's what makes the character I think like he's basically like through the story he's treated so nicely and these people they well, pretty much everybody like kind of like one character they all want to kind of give him a chance and and he ends up stabbing him in the back in the end and that kind right. of like that like makes the point but he doesn't come out and just say it explicitly so I think that's like. With people with fiction, it's like learning how to, um, you know, just not make a complete straw man. Like that's the the it's the temptation to make it so that your point is like so obvious. And but your reader is intelligent and they can piece things together. And I think if people can do that, then fiction, it, you know, it can it can uh, be an effective means of of like making your point. Um, so yeah, I think nonfiction. It's it's just that I think people. I think there's also just a. Uh, a bias people have against nonfiction sometimes, or it's just they default boring, and some people just don't want to. Don't want. Some people have a bias against fiction, and that oh well, it can't you know it can't make a point or whatever. It can. It's just that they're they they have different. They're good for different things, I think. And well, you know, I, I would say that you know, from my perspective, so my so the pro of using fiction as a storytelling medium is that uh, you know just a very base point, basic point is that uh, you know n nobody has ever locked themselves in their room for a week reading a, a biography, right? <laughs> people people want to be transported into another universe, into an alternative world. And the way to do that in the most effective manner is through uh, fiction, for sure. Now, my critique is kind of um, of, of not of, of fiction, in the American context is I feel that, and you know, we could go into hyper reality and so on, that uh, the average American, the, the ordinary person on the street in America has a hard time distinguishing reality from fiction. Uh, we could look at, for example, the, the phenomenon of celebrities and movie stars becoming prominent political leaders in the United States. You have, uh, you know, uh, in the 1970s, the Republicans were desperate to draft John Wayne as a <laughs> as a can as a presidential candidate. They actually tried uh, to do that, and uh, you know, he turned it down. Uh, and then you go to Ronald Reagan, all the way to the more contemporary Donald Trump. Um, there is a kind of people have a, a distinct a, a difficulty um, telling the real man from the person he plays in movies and television. Um, you know, I, I see this also even with Clint Eastwood. You know, I like Clint Eastwood. I love Clint Eastwood movies. I love Westerns. I love Dirty Harry. Um, but if your idea of a great man is a character from a movie, well, that says a lot about, you know, the culture and zeitgeist you're living in. You know, um, so um, and and when you do see people uh, making references or maybe they're playing an Internet character or something and they have, uh, uh, you know, some some modeled after a great man, it's usually someone from way back in history, someone like uh, 
uh, you know, Hitler or uh, Augustus or someone like that. You know, we don't really have great contemporary men, flesh and blood men that you can look up to and, and idolize. You know, Trump, uh, Trump is an exception, but that is, again, because of the um, the, the kind of um, inability to tell reality from 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 fake fake stuff. Right. Um, yeah. so what do you think? I think I think with the at least with Americans in particular, a lot of the uh, with that obsession of of living vicariously through um, uh, these these like fictional characters, I think a lot of it comes from like a like if you want to call it like sens- sensory deprivation in the sense that yeah. um, you know they don't have real friends, they don't have. I mean, sadly, a lot of them don't really have real families. They don't live in real communities. Um, uh, it's it's everything. So you know, you create these. You, in order, your mind is like it, it takes a fictional character that you're reading about or watching the TV show about, and it kind of substituted in as like a, almost as like a coping mechanism. And um, I think that's a lot of what um, with Americans in particular. Like, I mean, you just look at how people live, and, and like, like I guess, like ultimately, like the psalmist dot. What we're we're hoping at some point that you know, I mean, we, we with the the volume one, we we printed, we we made a version that people could go out and print because we want people to actually go and um, you know, we want people to pass these around, like in, like in in the sense of like what a real psalmist dot is. Like we didn't just pick that name because it sounded cool. We did we did there was a a, a bigger um, uh, idea as far as going down the line, but it, it's it's like ultimately we want. To contribute, like right now, it's online, but we're hoping that these communities do bleed into the real world because that's how you counter these uh, negative, uh, these negative uh, manifestations of, of like sensory deprivation in, in American society. Because you know, oh, yeah. you look, yeah, you look at some guy who's living in a suburb. I mean, he oh god. He, he he like doesn't you know he doesn't have a community. I mean this is like the most nefarious thing with suburbs is they yeah. they took whites who had legitimate communities and they they put them in these areas where um like uh, people talk about American the ethnogenesis of the Americana and, and things like that and how it was stalled and I think really it, it you know possibly like even though you know there were issues obviously with the very obvious issues with the uh, um, with World War II, but there there still was a possibility that in America that they could have formed a legitimate cultural identity around around like you know the quote unquote American or these like white um, broad, broadly European um, people, but instead they kind of they they like excise the actual cultural potential and they in, in they um, replaced it with consumerism and uh, I mean that's like where we are today and it's almost like these identities it's just a way to it's just another um consumptive behavior you know like in the yeah. sense of you know oh what I, I you know here's the cool thing like my fictional like my, in my headspace my friend or whatever is this fictional character it's just like another another form of that yeah i i, I agree and i want to say like uh you know again looking back to history you look at something like the uh the um the irish republicans in the easter rising right um, imagine something like that, where a group of men get together to rise up against the British government there, the British run government. Um, if those men were living in suburbs instead, it would have been impossible because the only way they were able to trust each other to plot this resistance and so on was because they all grew up in the same neighborhoods, in the same small towns. They went to school with each other. They know each other from childhood. 
And so they trusted each other in a way that if you live in a, in a suburb and you have a political movement of any type, um, you don't know, you know, you, you, you have to, you're forced to use the internet to put the word out and you don't know who the hell is going to show up in many cases. It adds a layer of complication to any kind of political organizing. And, and you know, the Irish Republicans, that's, that's different. That's an armed kind of system. But even in a place like, uh, you know, the, the 1920s in Germany, uh, these guys that got together, they, they could walk into a city and they have a neighborhood there. Now it's just a matter of changing hearts and minds. Um, you know, winning, winning over the communists by winning a, a discussion, a debate, you get the entire neighborhood on your side. Um, and, um, by, by pushing people into these, uh, you know, alienated atomized suburbs, all of that becomes impossible. I mean, I, I had a friend tell me, you know, I, I grew up in New York city. So, you know, my, my I don't even want to get into what my neighborhood looked like, but, um, Either way, like I actually had a little crew of friends that had my political beliefs. Like we had, I had like a good 20 or 30 friends just in the general area where I grew up in a real place where whites are like 15 or 20% of the population. And we had a little crew of friends who were pro white and, uh, you know, into like skinhead music. And so whatever you might think of that, that, that was like something you could do because of how vast and also how. Uh, how urbanization tends to push people together and also just meeting lots of people and so on. But I had a friend recently tell me that what he used to do for entertainment was like, if you wanted to talk about politics or anything like the, the fucking Walmart parking lot was your forum. Like, <laughs> you know, totally different world, totally different world. Yeah. It's, it's really sad in a, in a sense, you know? Yeah. I would add too, like all, all of our works are online right now. They're, they're all on Substack, and if anything were to happen to that, they'd be totally gone. Um, so one of the things that we've tried to do with these volumes that we put out is to at least put something into the real world. I mean, we don't have the, the tools or the money to print all these and real books or anything, but what you can do is to put that file out there that lasts a lot longer than any third-party software or any um, other platform that can close you down whenever they want and there, there's right. and while there are advantages to this online life you know in in your story it's all about the real world it's all about making friends it's all about um yeah having heroes and everything and i i think that's something that's really missing from this world we're, we're not just in a social crisis or a um, economic crisis we're in a real spiritual crisis we don't have yes. any idea or we, we've, we've been purposefully pushed away from these ideas of the hero, from adventure, from being curious about the entire world. Um, those are things that just aren't taught to us anymore as a kid. And all of the culture that comes out doesn't push any of those values in any way at all. I mean, you, you look right now at the fiction bestseller list. I mean, it's just god awful. It's just <laughs> different. Like, I, just to add a morbid curiosity, like what? <laughs> What's on there these days? I don't even know. I'd have to look it up because I, I, I don't know because it's not a cultural touchstone anymore. It's not anything that has any worth. You think um, 40 years ago, you would look at that list, maybe even longer ago, and you, 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 you could really see some good authors and some good works on there, names that you know. Now you, you look and you don't even know half of these names. Half of them are just women who are fresh out of college that wrote something that got picked up. Um, and, My and vagina. The, 
novel, a novel <laughs> exactly. about feeling. And yes. there's there, there there's no masculine hero in the fiction world anymore. It's all these oh, no. gay. Um, no, no, there's no there are no masculine men in any institution at all, yep. other than like maybe the military. And they're even getting rid of that. <laughs> uh, yeah. th- like th- think of th- think of try and think of a man who visibly has any any amount of testosterone at all, other than maybe Joe Rogan. I mean, I I personally loathe Joe Rogan on a variety of levels, but the key to his popularity, one of the keys is popularity, other than being partially astroturf, because they, they basically delete and censor anyone who's not Joe Rogan. But other than that, one of the, you know, again, I, I've, I've, I've been seeing Joe Rogan for years. He's, a, he's done UFC commentary, god-awful comedy. He used to be a stand-up comedian, god-awful, like, not funny at all. He doesn't really have any particular skills or <laughs> anything. He just has his his secret is that he's kind of like this bro-type guy that, you know, kind of masculine, at least in appearance, and, uh, and he's just, like, the only masculine-looking man uh, in American public life in a nation of 330 million. Only one man, only one man with any kind of testosterone is allowed to be seen in public. I mean, think of think of academia. Like, I I remember when I was in college, uh, I had a couple of college professors who were excellent uh, professors, like excellent history teachers, because I I didn't go to like clown college or even like some of these Ivy Leagues where it's very politicized. I went to a relatively rigorous uh, public university. college university and uh and uh i had some great professors but here's the problem they all had white hair and they were they were masculine they 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 weren't like weird kind of like uh you know always um they they, they would teach what they believed or what they thought was true um i but again they were always very old to try and think of 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 any kind of public intellectual or cultural figure or anything that is masculine. Even in, mu- in music, music at least had some kind of macho guys, even into the 90s. Um, but that's all gone. Even even gangster rap. Gangster rappers, look at them now. They look like, uh, you know, the, these Zoomer mumble rappers. Um, th- they, they look like freaking trannies. Okay, so like what, what, what uh, and, and <clears throat> I don't want to say like, because people, again, they will get distracted with the surface level information that they get, which is that, okay, the problem is that testosterone in young men has dropped and blah, blah, blah. And there's truth to all of that. But, you know, where I live, I see some, you know, masculine guys, masculine college kids walking down the street. They, they go to the gym. They like to box. They like to do stuff. So they're still around, but they're just locked out of every consequential uh, and, and, um, and influential position, aren't they? Yeah, without a doubt, you think if, if if you're a guy and you want to write a true adventure novel or some sort of ancient Greek type book, like there there's no way you are going to get that book out at a very good publishing house unless you want to go to Antelope Hill. I mean, it's right. really them and us are the, the only ones that are putting out some great stories here. Um, and so I, I did look on the New York Times bestseller list. Oh, jeez. Uh, so <laughs> Mouse. The, so Mouse. <laughs> oh, that is, yeah. So the book right now is by Colleen Hoover. It's called It Ends With Us. 
and it's all about this um it's about this this woman who goes out into the world and she works hard and she goes into the city and she becomes uh she falls in love with a neurosurgeon oh that's think, okay one. yeah you think oh this this that's all well and good but what is the real cultural worth of this is is this book going <laughs> to even be relevant 10 years from now is there anybody who's who's going to give this book to their kid and say you need to read this because it teaches you something not at all um so one of the things that we it's really just, have to it's use, just a romance novel exactly it's just a basic <laughs> romance novel and you look too i just picked another one it's called um it's called savage road it's by christine fian and again it's just a, a love novel it's about re- relationships and romance and all this and you think, okay, sure, there there might be a place for that somewhere, but I mean, we have to we have to create these new heroes, these new worlds, these new adventures that fit our own time, that our own kids can look up to and re- relate to. Um, that that's our real mission here. I I mean, I've noticed this too that uh, a lot of people, um, like a lot of the the, the best-selling authors and stuff are women okay um and i think part of that is that one the system obviously prefers a romance novel over something that could be generally culturally subversive but also because there are great women writers right there are you know you look at uh jane austen and so on um but i think another um element going on here is that the oligarchs the elites are just the, the kinds of people that live in New York City and Washington, D.C. and are calling the shots in this country, um, they're actually quite, one, mediocre, and two, miserable. So, you know, they, they like to escape into it. And another thing, too, that I want to bring up, too, is the um, this obsession of kind of blurring the line between childish and grown-up. You see this a lot with the with the overclass, the uh, not, not the Jewish element, but the people under them that are kind of managing and, and counting the beans and so on. Um, you know, the the elite thing now is to like take like, for example, mac and cheese. I love mac and cheese. OK, everyone loves mac and cheese. But, you know, taking mac and cheese and then uh, repackaging it as some kind of gourmet, like fancy <laughs> And then charging like thirty dollars for it, so I've noticed this kind of like attempt to 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 uh, to uh, interpret childlike, childish things as um, mature and blur that line. Now, what do you think is what do you think is behind that? I think I think that's just kind of uh, I mean infantilism. Yeah, that's what I was, was going to say. It's like this, the, it's just this mass infantilization and it's almost like a cope to like, almost like say, well, I'm not a child. Look, I've made it fancy now, you know? So I, right. think, that, yes. I think that's kind of like the, the trick. It's all like, because everything is so uh, child, it, it drives me insane. Like the, the you know, like, it, it, especially like, I, I I could probably go on a lot, a lot about like the, like, since we talk about like art, like the Allegria that, that like the, the weird like the i don't know but what do people call it? what's the colloquial term for it like the the I don't, I don't know but like it's like facebook uses it um all the big tech companies use it for stuff like and it's just like it's really like uh 
it's like an art. I think it kind of almost goes down like the avenue of like brutalism where like yes. the, it's it's meant to degrade you and, and make you feel worse about yourself. And I, I can't remember who I was listening to. Somebody's talking about this like with with the Allegria. It's like they take the more human side, the human features like the face and the eyes, and they basically diminish them to zero. But yes. then, then they give them these like gangly limbs that are like, you know, going oh, all over the place. Google you art. Know. You ever see those awful Google ads that they bombard yeah, you? That, that's what I'm talking about. Yeah. Oh, Google that. Yeah. That shit. Oh, God. That, yes. that, that shit, that stupid song is in my yeah. head, and it's, it's, it's actually should be considered uh, cerebral rape. Cerebral yeah. sodomy <laughs> to have that song in your head, that, that, that fucking song. And you know what's funny? When you click, because I made sure, I never do this, but in this case, I made sure to click on the ad to go to the YouTube page for it and give it a thumbs down. And before they took all the thumbs down, it was just like nothing but negative comments all over the place. They're just like, why are you making this? Why are you doing this to me? I'm not going to buy your fucking phone now. Um, and you're right. There, there is a, there, I, I, a lot of it too. I think a lot of the uh, infantilization, uh, it also comes from the rise of Silicon Valley. Um, you know, when I was a kid, you know, nerds were uncool. Okay. But after the rise of Silicon Valley as the economic, uh, prestige of America, um, suddenly like you have things like I, I, you know, I, I've seen like footage from inside the Google compound in uh in california and they have like a like a like a slide that you do that you take instead of going down the stairs <laughs> and and people are walking around in like you know uh jeans and sandals and then you ask them oh who are you is oh i'm the ceo there's a kind of that 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 infantilization is is absolutely coming from the silicon valley ideology i mean that that's that's where i've been able to trace it to um what do you think of that I think there's a really nefarious, um, like, uh, uh, like psychological, um, I guess, subversion that's going on with it, where they um, they're taking you and it's 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 they're making you think that you have like they're like because you look at how a lot of those Silicon Valley places where they treat you like oh you can work whenever you want whatever like that you know and that we're gonna treat you like a kid we'll give you a slide all that kind of stuff but but really like I. Like being a kid fundamentally is not really having like autonomy, not really like full autonomy, not having full authority over your own life. And and like it, it's I, I, you know, there's a lot of people I've talked to and, and, and uh, you know, like everything and nobody gets you never really get to be treated like a full fledged adult at any point in time in society anymore. And I think like. I, I, like the infantilization, it's like a way to trick you to think like, oh, well, like in some ways a kid, you're free from you're free from certain responsibilities, but you don't have autonomy. And like that's that's like what a lot of people kind of are lacking right now in, in the sense that, you know, you don't have because uh, there's no real consequence. Like other institutions maybe bear some of the consequences or they're maybe socialized to a degree, but the like fundamentally you're uh, you don't like you don't gain because you know you don't, what I'm trying to get at is like you don't have like a farm yourself or something and like if you have your own like if you're looking back historically you have your own farm you're responsible for like if you don't execute certain responsibilities then you just don't eat um, these days like right. so, some of those things like it, it's pushed away but you're also losing that ability to like uh, I'm not trying to be a libertarian about it but just like uh, there there is a degree of where it's like having your having the 
having a, adult responsibilities is important. And like when you're treated like a child, then you, you, you know, you, you lose that aspect of it. And, you know, it's a, it's yeah. just like a way to trick you. I, I guess that's what I'm getting at. I, I don't know if you've ever read this. There's a, there's an essay called the Californian ideology about this thing. Uh, what we're talking about Silicon Valley and infantilization. Uh, it was written by, um, an Englishman. I think his name is Barbrook or Barbrook. And, um, his his general thesis is that again the um the, there was like this 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 during the the dot com boom uh there there came all these different kinds of publications like Wired um and um Adam Curtis I believe or uh, will say it's, there's a lot of dispute about where the ideology come from I I'll just say it comes from Jews um, but it is like a combination of Ayn Rand libertarianism with the new left of the 1960s, right? Um, it, it's it's very much uh, of that uh, of that. Let's let's just throw off all these rules. Why do rules even exist? Um, but the irony of that is that libertarianism is the road paved with the uh, with uh, you know some would say good intentions. I disagree, but that road leads you right to techno dystopianism. Okay, that road leads you right to fewer and fewer and weirder and weirder people having complete control over your life. So I think that's that's one of the things to take away from this, that they have uh, essentially turned us all into bug men. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I would I would add on onto that. You think like what is the political landscape right now? And it's people who think Biden pooped himself and all this oh, stuff yeah. and on the other side it's people it's 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 that and then you on the left you have guys who think um trump peed on some russian prostitute yeah. or something it's it's a fight of like pee versus poo it's the most childish <laughs> it's it's yes. it's the worst possible toxic thing that's that's made and it, it, it's it's so dumbed down too you don't have even 10 years ago or 20 years ago you would at least have some idea of okay we're we're going to argue about tax rates or we're going to argue about something that takes a little bit more brains than just coming up with pee pee versus poop or something <laughs> it's it's just absolutely dumbing everything down to the lowest it can possibly be and one of the things that that at least i've i've seen in the time that i spent on online social media and writing and all this is that we in our sphere, we actually have the best arguments coming out. We have the most mature, well-formulated arguments. And of course, you 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 do have those guys who who just post crap all the time, and that's whatever. There there's a certain place for that. But the only place where you're getting real high-level intellectual discourse is out of either us or out of these um, high high-level institutes run by uh, Jews. And yeah, it's it's just us versus them and then all the other discourse is absolutely brutal <laughs> can you guys still hear me one second uh my my computer got unplugged one sec yeah we were, we were able to still hear you striker sorry i don't know where we are all right okay you're back okay i'm back now okay yeah no, yes. Um, sorry, I missed some of what you said. <laughs> Could you just repeat some of it? Yeah, sure sure thing. So I talked about how we have the pee versus, versus the poop trial. Oh, here. yes. 
And um, yeah, that so, is the debate. I mean, I just see yeah. the, the the phony right now. I mean, the the infantilization was definitely on the on the left um, for a while, where you get the images of the people going. You know, when Donald Trump got elected, the woman going, Nyah! you know, throwing throwing a little a forty year old woman throwing a temper tantrum, um, and, and then. It seems that that disease has also infected the right now. And I noticed that this coincided, you know, the the rise of Donald Trump Jr. coincided with, like, uh, our censorship. Is there a relationship there? The deplatforming? I think there absolutely is. I mean, you... you, um as I said earlier, the, the only place where you're getting high level intellectual discourse is really out of our sphere. Anything outside of it really doesn't make anything with any worth. It's just Donald Trump Jr. shilling his latest book that's not really about anything. That he um, didn't even write. He yeah, didn't even he, write that book. Like no, he was he was going out there saying that they he was complaining that they didn't cancel Whoopi Goldberg fast enough. And uh, and then someone posted a picture of his book. And I can just imagine Donald Jr. just being like, oh, shit, I forgot that that I published that under my name. Like, <laughs> yes. Uh, well, what's the book called? It's like canceled. How libtards are trying to ruin your life or something like that. Right. Yeah. And you think it's something, again, that's not going to have any worth. I mean, I, I did a huge <laughs> clean out a few years ago and I found these books I'd bought in 2010 by Glenn Beck and all these guys. And I, I, I found one one book is by Greg Gutfeld, and it was called The uh, Joy of Hate or something like that. It, it, it was written around 2011, 2012, I think. And I'm flipping through it and I'm thinking none of this stuff is even relevant anymore. All, all this stuff is so of its time. Um, and the, it's a book that's very easy to just throw in the trash and you don't miss yeah. at all. And if you try to sell it used on online, I'm sure you'll get only like two or three bucks for it. So, or if even that, I mean, uh, I, I, yeah, this is actually very, so I remember, um, uh, cleaning out some of my, my, uh, my closet and I had this, I don't even know how I got this book. It was, it, it was like the, like the, the, the Tony Danza, I'm not even kidding. It's like a Tony Danza autobiography <laughs> and I'm like, where the fuck did this come from? I know I never read it, but you know, for every one good book, there's a thousand books published by mainstream publishers that are like this. So you just have to think this is what they're doing. And, you know, I don't think like I, 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 I think that the, the Glenn Beck books are like, you know, all those books like um, um, Bill O'Reilly used to publish books all the time, too. Now, his were kind of history oriented, but they fucking sucked. Um, and, uh, you know, the, 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 the meme, so to speak of conservatives writing shit books that have no, absolutely no political value, even in the present day, like Dinesh D'Souza and stuff like that, that is something that again, it, it, it really politically, cause you know, people don't understand that we're in a life or death existential battle here. And so if that is your team, if your team are the guys with the foam swords, you have a pool noodle as your weapon. Uh, that's your intellectual weapon, a pool noodle, a foam pool noodle. And then the other side is like these kinds of very meticulous, uh, thoughtful, you know, 
organized Jews with money to boot. Because, um, you know, one thing I noticed is that there's actually more money on the institutional right than there is on the left. And the way I know this is I've known people that have worked for conservatism and I've known people that have worked for left-wing activism. And what distinguishes them is that the left-wing people are willing to live in Washington, D.C. for $30,000 a year, sharing their apartment with five people, just to have some influence on the power structure. They take what they're doing very seriously in many respects, while the right-wing people are just writing uh, – you know, to, to, to get their name out there and uh, almost like, uh, what, like, uh, like internet prostitutes, like, uh, like, uh, cam girls or something, you know, just a different way of approaching politics and the results speak for themselves. And I think what we do, and me and Warren were talking about this last night when we were recording fascination is that the, the secret to Mussolini defeating the communists is that he understood that the only way to defeat a revolutionary ideology is a revolution, just like the only way, or in many respects, one of the ways of stopping an out-of-control forest fire is to start your own fire. And, uh, and I find that as long as the conservative element is in control, and they're, they're, it's slipping out of their hands increasingly, but as long as they have any amount of, of ability to attract the money and time of good, well-meaning people, um, we're fucked, aren't we? There's, it's, it's actually, you know, we entice this into a TPS thing, but we're, we, we started a book club and we actually started, we started this, our second book is, a it's, it's called Four Positive Critique by uh, Dominique Venere. Um, and he kind of talks about, uh, it's really, I, I'm not finished with it yet, but I think it's like 50 pages. Um, but he talks about a lot of things that are relevant to, um, like he was writing it, I think, in the 60s in the context of kind of uh, French nationalism, a lot of it. But um, he it, a lot of it is very relevant to uh, what today is. But he talks about basically like, you know, our adversary has power like we don't necessarily have power right now. Um, so we need to be he says, like, we need to have like a superior cunning is, is required and basically saying like, you know, that is the quality of comrades and uh, methodical, well-reasoned struggled in this in this education and doctrine are essential. And that's, that's what I think, uh, like as far as like getting out. So like one thing I think we can, a direction we could go to too is, is like, how do you subvert, like they pushed us out of a lot of ways of communicating to people. So now people, they, they have to read and they, well, they don't have to, but you know, your, your, uh, your mother or your grandmother or your uncle, they, they have to read the Donald Trump junior book because that's all they know that it exists. And right. how do we subvert that? Like, and I think that's what it comes down to kind of tying in a couple of ideas is that you need to become like the person that people like, it's like people don't want to admit this, but it's like people will listen to you if they like you. And you know, so you need to become a really likable, charismatic person, uh, and also like somebody and and know your points really well. And so that when people, you know, w when you get talking to the, you know, and interact with these people, don't like hold yourself into um, uh, just you know online stuff. Like you know, just talk to people. Like it's a, it's amazing what you can get from just you know you just and and meeting uh, like the term. I think it's a really good strategy is just like meet people where they are. Like they might not understand certain things, but you know, you can 
gradually erode some of those things that Donald – and it's not like it's that difficult. These people aren't – like Donald Trump Jr.'s book, you know, <laughs> he didn't write it. It's not saying that much. So, I mean, you know, you can – you just – you can even do it Socratically where you're just like, oh, well, what about this or whatever and, you know, let them kind of answer themselves. But I think right. that's like – I think – ultimately the subversive like how we can be you know ultimately we were subverted but you know there's nothing wrong with us subverting their information cycle and it kind of comes down to like just bypass the internet use the internet as a means of consolidating ideas and and honing critiques of certain ideas and then use that and then take that and and apply it and talk to people and and can you know just bypass they can't and this this is what i, I think the, the part of some of the meaningful things about COVID that are worth talking about is that they've really made it so that it's difficult for people. I think it was deliberate so that people can't talk to each other in person. Um, and because that's like, a, it's like an uncontrolled medium of communication. Um, but it's still, you know, things are kind of dying down and, you know, people need to take advantage of, uh, you know, just talking to people as a, as a way of, of getting, fighting back against some of these, the, the garbage right-wing commentary. So that, that's what I would say. Yes. Yeah, and I would add on as well to a earlier point, the point about all these people who in their hearts really believe all these goals and they want to fight for them. And they're usually on the left wing. All of our authors write for free. They don't get anything out of it. They don't get paid or anything. So what motivates somebody to even submit a piece to the Samas dog? Well, it's out of that it's it's from their heart it's it's uh it's an attitude where they're wanting to create poetry and stories that uh actually comes without any gain it's it's them putting something out into the world and they're not being paid for it they're not being bought off to make these things and i think that's such a crucial thing that we really need in our sphere and uh we we've seen so many authors i'm i'm sure we have probably upwards of 50 authors who have sent things in and it's it's entirely just them wanting to help further our own culture, further our own ideas, and create these real lasting works. Yes, and and I think that um, um, you know I, I would use the analogy of food, right? Because what the the educational and information you consume is to your brain what food is to your body, and um, you know there, there's a famous quote from some. Um, some, some kind of junk food CEO where he said, I want some kind of processed shit within reach of every American in every household. And lo and behold, they created this, um, this uh, advertising kind of conglomeration complex, so to speak, um, that simply through the process of repetition, using the amplifiers to repeat the same thing over and over, you will get everyone where you want them. This is something that, again, is missing from many classical liberal critiques of, of the world, that cl classical liberalism pretends that institutions and, and the way things are are kind of uh, not independent of human will, but uh, just out of reach of human will, that they are just random. But I would argue that uh, many things in society are the process of committees and conspiracies coming together to create an outcome, right? That if you try to do something, you might get a result and it might actually be the result you want. So um, when it comes to, like you were saying, the kinds of books and uh, 
political materials people are consuming. You know, just like with a person who's obese from eating too many Debbie cakes, you have to, in some cases, meet them where they are and uh, understand that you're, you're breaking them from an addiction. There is an emotional addiction people have to kind of owning the libs and that kind of uh, really shit tier of political culture it has literally no political outcomes of note related to them. Um, and so you have to understand people when they're there and try and 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 uh, slowly but surely wean them from it with things that are good for their minds, good for their brains. Um, and, and again, I, I would argue that opportunity to do it is something that is lacking. So our job is to kind of evangelize people in our day to day lives um, on these matters, you know. Um, but uh, but anyway, um, Borzoi, are you back yet? You are. Yeah, I'm here. Sorry, I had uh, I had all of my things uh, muted, so it took me a second. Yeah, you're no ready for donations. Yes, sir. Okay, so I'll just go for the Odyssey ones first, and then I'll get to the uh, Entropy ones. <clears throat> so, uh, Tam donated. Oh, one, one last thing real quick I was going to say about uh, before. Um, the last thing I would note is also using the, the tactics of the elites against them. And what I mean by that is we were talking about how worthless memes can be, um, but sometimes as a cultural weapon – they have their time and place, obviously. I'm sure everyone here agrees with that. But, you know, that that's part of that process of weaning people off of mental junk food is getting them these kinds of familiar um, ways of, 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 of communication or, or education that they have, which is memes, unfortunately, uh, and then using that to bring them to the, night, to, the, to the better place, right? So that's all I'll say about that. Uh, sorry, Borza. No worries. All right, so I'm going to start with the uh, Odyssey chats first. So Tam donates $14.88. Thank you, Tam. Uh, five, five library coins from Hacksaw Jim Duganism. For far too huh. long, for far too long, Iberian members of the dissident right have been denigrated and treated as outcasts. Striker, our dear Dominican leader, you must stand up from your wheelchair and help us form a Latinx phalanx oh. around our people. We are in, we are Indio Aryan. We must unite. Hashtag. <laughs> Juan struggle. Yes, yes. That 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 one's my favorite. Yes, I, I'm I'm from the Dominican Republic, uh, and uh, yes, uh, I, I saw someone actually promoting that. Uh, but yes, there 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 is a uh, interesting uh, distinction between someone of European descent that may speak Spanish and someone from the Dominican Republic who's just a black guy. Um, so I would definitely agree with that. Yes. You know, the, the people I, I'm a quarter Portuguese and a quarter uh, Spanish. And it's kind of underrated. The Portuguese in particular are very much underrated. I mean, if you look at the achievements of Portugal vis-a-vis its size, it's very impressive. Um, and I would argue that there's very little like it um, in, in history. So, yes, I, I do agree with that, sir. All right. And I'm sorry, guys. I don't know why the volume's low. It shouldn't be that way. It's But whatever. I'm not going to worry about it right now. Uh, Sound fine to me. 
Yeah, it, no, it's it's something to do with the OBS, so it's broadcasting at a lower volume, so I don't know why it's doing that. Uh, I don't know. But $25 from Heretical Axe. Too many points to bounce off this, this discussion to fit into 300 characters. I guess he just really liked the discussion. Oh. <laughs> uh, does he have anything attached to that? I didn't see anything. Okay. Let me see if I can... Let me see if I can boost my volume here for a second. Take a look. It's, which one's the second? Yeah, I'm not gonna be. Able, I'm not gonna be able to figure that out on the fly. All right, going over to entropy right now. We have Mike Stan donates three dollars. American soft power is turning the world into a gay Jewish mulatto. Also, techno capital is making us autistic. Good, good, good graph. Yes, um, I, I I don't necessarily fully agree with the last part, but uh, I will say that um, in general, uh, I do agree with the first part. I mean that 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 really is unique in history. The sort of elevation of the the black race as a sort of kind of inver inverted master race <laughs> that has never existed before America. Um, so I guess we can we can take our empire to its tomb, knowing that uh, you know we we accomplished this. We we were able to bully and threaten the countries of the world into uh, worshiping blacks. Um, and then of course there's other the, the main element, which is uh, you know the Jewish element. Uh, again, there have been empires previously that deferred to them, but the the amount of worship that they enjoy, I mean. Uh, I know. I don't know if you guys are you guys Christian, Nick and uh, Mark. I am. Yes. Yes, I am as well. well. What do you guys think? You know, we talked about this with Mike on Striker Mike, and I talked about it a bit with Warren in respects to the mouse, the phony mouse controversy. Is um, these kinds of paleo conservative alt Christian types? Well, I, I mean, am I wrong in saying that they believe the Holocaust mice? in mouse uh come first before the bible itself and the reason i say that is that the christians of mcminn county were trying to ban mouse not even because they disagree with the holocaust fiction or whatever but because it portrayed graphic images of 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 children being murdered and like nudity and foul language all things that you know a biblical christian would be or just a normal christian would, would, would agree with banning. Um, and yet all of the Christian leaders from Rod Dreher to, uh, you know, various other ones, uh, they're siding with Art Spiegelman, the Playboy artist, the pornographer Art Spiegelman. So what, 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 what's with that? Is it just simple cowardice or money? What, what, what drives that on the institutional or even, um, kind of wannabe populist Christian movement. What, what, what's going on with these guys? Do you, do you have any theories? I think, I think for them, it's just that the presence of the, you know, if you, you know, when you talk about foundational myths of the, the, you know, current paradigm uh, to them, it's like, you know, in all, I think in their minds, the foundational myth of, you know, the, the world war two, all the world war two stuff is it's more present in their mind. And, and there's more of a consequence for them if they don't, hold it i think i think that's uh, i think that's kind of like what comes but it is it is 
just blatantly hypocritical in the sense that it's I haven't I haven't even seen really the mouse stuff that much, but it just sounds like lewd and <laughs> um like like just uh it it has no place in uh, and my my opinion of it is that it's like if you can't like you know basically they need to traumatize people in order to make them believe in something and that it's like. Yeah. You know, does that really mean that it's, you know, <laughs> you're, you're, it, that, that's, that's a very weak way of, of trying to make somebody believe something's true. So I think, I think ultimately, especially with Roger, I just think he's like a limp coward. And, um, uh, you know, that's really it. He's just, he is too content to, um, maintain whatever, <laughs> like, uh, marginal status that he has in society. And, um, you yeah, know, that's kind of what it comes down to. Yeah. yeah. I think there's a, there's a good contest idea for the Samazda there is to make the most, to make some artwork that makes fun of Rod Dreer as much as you can and uh. create writings that counteract his, because he's such an awful writer too. I mean, look at all these block <laughs> quotes that he uses. It's garbage. He he doesn't put any ideas and all of his books are just, what's that one where he, he goes down south and it's called like a little oh, home yes. or something like that. Like it, yes. it's, 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 it's not anything that is, that would inspire you to go out and do something good in the world. It's just all of this really fluff, melodramatic garbage. And I, I, I think that's, that's what they want the right wing to, to be is they want the right wing yeah. to be this limp, limp wristed, weak, um, crying type of thing, crying that mouse is gone and all this stuff. It's, it, it's, it's totally to just turn the right wing into a blubbering mess. Yeah. And, uh, I'll also say that, um, that in general, the um, I my my view on World War II is that this was kind of the uh, the, the the first you know all all wars are mythologized to some degree right but World War II really did uh, apply the Marvel comic uh, method to an actual historical event. I mean, show me uh, an equivalent. You know, that definitely is one of the earliest examples of mixing fantasy with reality. And it's not just the Holocaust. It's like all around, like, you know, um, the idea that, uh, you know, the American people even supported the war. You know, this is just like complete fiction. And, you know, I find this is, again, my 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 critique of fiction um, is that, you know, we need a little more kind of a, a, a gust of air into the room because of um, if, if you're able to think rationally, then you can actually undo a lot of these knots they've tied over our brains and even over our hands in terms of uh, political organizing. Um, so, yeah, I think that um, in general, this was a, this was a telling moment that these people defer to a, a Holocaust comic book over christian morality and, and even even more so it's the like their their weakness and I, I had a priest say once in a sermon but it was it was like the extent that you know you're supposed you, you know don't be afraid to it, it, he made kind of a uh, analogy with water but you know you shouldn't be afraid to go into the deep end and take risks for things that are meaningful and i think that the sad part with a lot of people like rod Dreer is i think they know the score and they know that they're BSing a lot of people, 
but they don't have the moral courage to actually stand for the truth. And, you know, if you're coming from a Christian worldview, I mean, the truth is like a, in some ways a manifestation of the second person of the Trinity. So, you know, it's like a very, you know, it ties into your, you know, Christian morality that you should you should stand for, for what you really believe is right. It's not just a, a instinctual thing. It's there's a theological um reasoning for it too so i don't know i just i just have very little respect for for those people and they are you know not good examples as christians as far as to other to other people they just they just present themselves as weak and that's not what you should do right exactly uh let's move on to the next one okay i just walked back i got i got the kiddo with me here all righty glenn the chinaman donates twenty dollars have you heard of my article where I explain how an organic Asian-American protest against black crime got subverted by the ADL and turned into white supremacy as well as... I haven't seen that, no. I have a link here as well. Um, he, it's That's at, interesting. It's at National Dissident. I'm going to put it on the screen right now and also put it in the chat. Let's see yes. So I want to say something about uh, Asian Asian identity politics is that um, there is a very real conversation happening in the Jewish community regarding the rise of China, but also the uh, the rise of Asian minorities who are, you know, disproportionately wealthy and educated. Um, and one thing Jews are afraid of, and you see this more explicitly in the uh, in in the kinds of things you see uh, Amy Wax talk about and so on. One thing they fear is that um, Asians will create a parallel elite in the United States. So, you know, let, let's just say for the sake of argument that, you know, what it looks like at the moment, which is that white people are just being written out of the story called America. They're killing off our character. OK, so the white character is just killed off. Just whites are basically invisible uh, unless they're really, really old. Whites are basically invisible in American uh, political life and, and, and so on. Um, and so what they fear is that Chinese people will pursue their own interests over the Jewish over the Jewish oligarchic one. And what they're doing is they're getting ahead of it by creating these phony oppositions. So I'm, I'm looking at uh, Glenn the Chinaman's uh, article. This is fascinating. Meet the leadership. Rebecca Cuss. Jewish Korean children's book editor, Melody Mulrad, Taiwan American journalist with a Jewish husband, Yoshi Silverstein, a Chinese Jew and founder of the Mitsu Collective, Hannah Bloom, for Chinese people, Jew. Yeah. Wow. For, for, people, for people who are listening uh, after the stream, this is nationaldissident.com. You can find the article at nationaldissident.com. Yeah, I mean, I've I've known, you know, many Asian people in my life, um, always had a very respectful relationship with them. You know, you, you know, not to like mix with them or something, but, um, you know, they 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 sort of keep to their own as well. Um, and, um, you know, I, I, I've I've um, noticed that they're not they've never been that politicized. Like if you if you go to a, a school or something and there's a lot of Asian people there's not going to be that much like uh, kind of woke organizing. And the Anti-Defamation League seems to be kind of suspicious about that. Like, hey, these people are too quiet. What's up with them? And, uh, and now that there are things affecting the Asian community, the, the Jews are 
trying to like, for example, um, take, for example, the, the, the lawsuit or the debate about affirmative action. Right. So when affirmative action is put on the ballot, even in California, which is majority minority, Asian people vote against affirmative action overwhelmingly. Uh, now there's a lawsuit. Now there's a there's a whole discussion there. There's there's a Jew litigating it, whatever. But uh, what I noticed was that a lot of these kind of ADL sponsored Asian quote Asian or what do they call it, AAPI groups, they are against uh, taking away affirmative action. So they're they're for affirmative action. I can tell you right now that that is not the opinion of the Asian person on the street. They are not for being racially disqualified from Ivy League schools. Nobody in the Asian community supports that. So the question is, why is this happening? Uh, the same is true for the crime epidemic in, in places like California, New York City. Like, because uh, you know, a lot of whites have simply left these places. Uh, a lot of it is is affecting these kinds of urban Asian populations, the black crime wave. It's not actually contrary to how they spin it. It's not necessarily always targeted. Blacks have always called Asian people ching chong and stuff like that. I've seen it my whole life. It was never an issue until now. Um, but it's 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 uh it's it's a phenomenon that's um it, it, it's not the same. And so what's going on is that Asian people are desperate for more police. They're desperate to arrest more blacks. They're desperate to prosecute more criminals. And yet the AAPI ADL backed fake groups are out there saying, this is what the white man wants. The white man wants Asians and other and, and blacks and other minorities to be fighting amongst themselves. We can't support criminal justice. And so um, that that's that's how you know this shit's all fake. Now, the question is, will it take? Will this alternative path to the elite? Because remember, Asian people, they can get by on their own. They're really smart and good at math and good at science. So they can they could they could be wealthy on their own. They don't really need to uh, become kind of court eunuchs for the Jew. Um, you know, like certain kinds of other races. So the question is, will this work? And I'm not sure it will. But they are definitely pouring a ton of money and coordinating and calibrating the media towards making this thing take off. But um, I'm not so confident it will, you know. So, yeah, anyway. All right, Glenn, the Chinaman donates another how much? Three dollars. Uh, what is your opinion on Mark Lett's work in uh, the United Kingdom? My wife and I are visiting him in person in April. Oh, interesting. I, I so Mark Collette is a great guy. Um, my political organization has a sort of um, you know kind of like um, um, we have like an agreement where we we have similar ideologies and a similar uh, way of organizing and kind so like on. How cities have sister cities. There you go. So P Patriotic Alternative is like the the sister party of NJP. There are others like the Nordic Resistance Movement. There are others like, um, you know, uh, um, uh, Action Zealandia in New Zealand. So there are many political organizations that share our vision of the world. And um, and we have, um, you know, a lot of respect for them. So, yeah, Mark Collette's a good guy. Johnny Javelin donates $15. Hail Striker. And then he throws me oh, an extra five bucks. <laughs> Hail Borzoi. Didn't know you were there, too. 
<laughs> there you go. Thanks, and, buddy. And then Borzette donates $20 and says, Hail Victory. Oh, thank you, Borzette. And check out Borzette's podcast. Yeah. It's, uh, you can find it on Telegram. It's, uh, Dreamweaver. I think we called it, it's t.me slash Dreamweaver's podcast, I think is what it is on yes. Uh, Telegram. Yes. Yeah, it's uh, Joan, oh. Emily Yukis, and Borzette. They're actually planning on recording another episode on Tuesday for people who were uh, wondering if there was going to be any upcoming episodes soon. They weren't sure if they're going to do a month or ever, if it was going to be monthly or semi-weekly, but they're going to go for they're going to shoot for it's semi-weekly. A, so it's it's a great team. Um, all those women are great, and um, you know, if you have any women in your life that that you know are kind of you know, this kind of material is, is, uh, you know, intimidating or something. Um, this is a good thing to show them because, uh, you know, a lot of, a lot of women, women's material out there is just trash, uh, from ranging from, you know, call her daddy to even red scare. I mean, it's just garbage. So, um, this is a good alternative to that. And, uh, and we, ha- and they have our support and, uh, yeah, they're doing a good job. Yeah. We had an article. Oh, sorry. sorry about that. We had an article a couple of weeks ago, and it was by a um, woman author, and she talked about cottagecore, which is this 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 big aesthetic thing where women wear dresses and they go in the wheat fields and all this stuff, <laughs> and they and they, uh, and they plant gardens and everything. And her her main point about it was that this is such a ripe aesthetic space for our our views and to reflect nationalist values. Um, but what it's currently going through right now is all these trannies and, um, really weird women with piercings and all this stuff are starting to get involved in cottage core and, um, it's really ruining all of the, the aesthetic value there. So her, her point in her article was that, uh, that's an area where we can reclaim that space, reappropriate it for ourselves, push our own values into it and hopefully make an impact for women to um to be enticed to our views well i mean attractive women are good optics i always say this like whatever you think you know whatever your opinions on you know too too much femininity in politics like i i agree with a lot of those criticisms but um uh women female input on certain kinds of propaganda and stuff is often very useful because women are more intuitive and they have, uh, and frankly, just they're just better adapted socially. So you know that, that that's good optics, um, in my opinion. So I agree with that. And, and not not to mention, like you know, you will not, not that it's the best way to do it, but you know, the 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 people at TPUSA understand that uh, you know you you know if if you lack a coherent ideology, just have kind of broads with, with a nice rack out there and, uh, you know, you will attract people. Not, I'm not saying we should use that strategy, but I'm saying uh, this, is a, this is common sense. And I've noticed that using attractive women, you know, back in the 90s, it was a big debate and a lot of kind of moralistic people on the right kind of teamed up with um, the uh, moralistic people on the left, which are feminists. And uh, to to condemn the, um, the the fact that there were attractive women on bus ads and stuff, um, I've noticed in recent years you don't see that at all. You don't see beautiful women anywhere uh, in terms of popular culture and so on. 
and it's and I think that um, there is a time and place or even a a uh, social advantage to a portrayal of beautiful women. So um, yeah, that's all I'll say about that. Uh, feminine was it? Feminine Revival donated $10. Dreamweavers was awesome. And I just actually wanted to address something. Somebody that's in the chat. Um, Greg here in the chat says, I tried to show that podcast to my sister, but Emily said the N-word and she got mad. We're actually... Oh. I, I'm, I'm help, I'm help, <laughs> well, I'm helping, the, I'm helping the girls out with the uh, with the tech and side of things and the recording side of things. So I've, uh, I guess like I kind of like a, a partial producer role in it. But uh, yeah, I, I think I think the plan is to try and scale down that. I mean, it was a pilot episode. Uh, I thought it was a great episode, but uh, I I kind of agree with the because I, I there's people get weird about that sometimes, especially when you want a, a show that's going to be kind of like an entry point for people. That word can be an MK Ultra trigger. I word for I understand, people. but you also I understand I understand, but you also have to you also have to uh not hide who you are. Oh yeah, no, no, you shouldn't pull like there's, you can't hide it. Uh, Emily, can't pull, Emily, pull punches. But Emily, can... Emily without the N word is Hitler without the mustache. Fair enough. <laughs> it's just it, framing the presentation is just a big part of things. Like you should never pull your punches. You shouldn't hide who you are. But there's a there's a way you can present things. No, okay, I see that. Yeah, yeah. No, but um, I would say I would say have your sister uh. Give it a give it a shot again in a, in a couple of weeks. Where um, I'm helping them with the prep right now. I think they're gonna try to they're gonna be doing a couple of different things with it. So okay. Anyway, <laughs> um, what are you laughing at? I'm just Re- laughing at the <laughs> revoke Hitler's mustache until performance improves. I, I was just I was just laughing at at like so yeah. Anyway, it's it isn't let's see. Right. No, no, I was laughing. Yeah, go ahead. Okay, uh, there's no more donations. Oh, oh hey, we're good. Oh, you, oh, you, you, you want you want to say hi to the audience? Like you've already they've already heard your voice, anyways. Hello, audience. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, yeah. Put the link to their. Well, that's what we. That's what we. That's. I'm gonna selflessly show myself. That's we were literally just talking. Episode two on Tuesday. We were literally just talking about that. My feminism is so fringe. Somebody donated ten dollars to tell you that Dreamweavers was awesome. Ah, thanks. Can I have ten dollars? <laughs> just get out of here. I, Dr- Dreamweavers is uh, it's uh, sugar, spice, and then the N word. There yeah. you go. <laughs> uh, somebody, somebody's sister stopped listening to it because because uh, Emily said the N word and. We were debating whether or not there should be N-words in the show. Oh, we believe that a lot more. A lot more. I, I said maybe 20, hey. and he said you can. You know what? Uh, I, I was going to make a, 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 a joke about, uh, uh, you know, I was going to compare hearing the N-word to breaking your hymen. Uh, it's going, <laughs> once it happens, it's absurding. He, uh, he, he just, because he just, uh, I'm on the headset, uh, he, he referred to saying the N-word as like breaking the hymen. Anyways, I think that's about, about enough of all this. Tell your sister to give it one more shot. Come on, one more shot. <laughs> yeah, that's what I said. All right. Um, all right. Is that it? Yep. Um, let me just let me just double check one last time. Yes, I got. I read your donation. Get out of here so that I can finish the show. 
Uh, let me just check entropy one more time, and yep, we can we can uh, close out. Uh, only thing I have to plug is I am recording a new pause button tomorrow, so River runs through it. We'll be uh, up this weekend, so um, check out the people Samas dot at the uh, the people Samas dot dot substack dot com. S A M I Z D A T. Yep, there's a link in the uh, notes for people. So, already you, you have you have no excuse not to check it out, and yeah. Uh, did you want to mention? Did you want to talk all about uh, next week, or are you keeping that under wraps right now? Uh, yeah. Well, let's let's uh, keep that under wraps. We're gonna have a guest next week where we're gonna discuss some stuff. So yeah. Okay. Um, yeah, we have a good we have a good lineup coming up in the next month. So uh, stay tuned. Make sure you uh, subscribe. What what are those uh, YouTube celebrities do? They go tap the bell it's, it's like it's oh, like, like comment if, ring yeah. the bell subscribe ah there we go there we go so yes do that um yes uh i think that's it right anything else fellas mark nick no. thanks guys i really appreciate it so yeah, no, yeah right. this is really fun perfect all right play sound boys okay <laughs> Thank you.